I love the way, as she said, come on, Barry, and applause went up. Although I don't deceive myself into thinking that was for me. <laughs> Not for one second. Um, some of you this morning may have, may, some of you may have preached, in fact, preached someone, got up and given a sermon, stuff like that. Some of you may have considered in the dark recesses of your mind, maybe you've dreamed and thought of one day, you know, a message to share, I could kind of get up there and say something, or, you know, I've got a, a, a heart to, to preach or to say something like that. This isn't a call for preachers, by the way. I want to I wanna explain something to you. It's not a, an anti-call for preachers. I love the fact that we have some fantastic preachers in this church, and it's something that there's a kind of deep history in it, and my passion is to see people progress in that gift. But a lot of people, what they think is they think that the idea of preaching, kind of confidence, that faith, that power, that authority, you know, those kind of strength traits that we often associate with people who are up on a platform speaking to people, they, they would think that it's about trying to impress when actually getting up and preaching is about actually showing that you understand. It's not about impressing, it's actually about showing that you understand. Some would think it's about preaching a great sermon when it's actually about preaching to you. Like to you, the individual, whether it's great or not is irrelevant. It's did it preach to you? Did it speak to you personally? Going you know, how great the preacher is when he's up there, how great he knows the Bible and how great he's able to, to explain it and get all of that stuff across and how great he is when actually you want the preacher to really let you know that he knows how bad you are and he understands and he accepts it and he doesn't judge you and he doesn't really care whether what he says sounds good or not just that we understand and we know where we are. One, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, chapter, sorry, apologies, a bit all over the place this morning. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, and it's, Paul, the, and it's Paul speaking. He wants for his church, and he says this, he says, that you, and I'm adding that word, would not be outwitted by Satan. And because, and I'm throwing the word you in, you're not ignorant of his methods. This was Paul's heart under the anointing of the Holy Spirit saying that his heart was that you wouldn't be outwitted by Satan. That Satan wouldn't outflank you. Matthew 4 verse 1, we hear this, that it says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Now that is one incredible verse if you know the Bible and you understand the, the Holy Spirit, which is God, would take God and lead him to Satan to be not tested, although that word can be translated as tested, but most translations choose to go with the word tempted by the devil. I mean, that's got to mess with your theology a little bit or at least get you thinking about what, you know, well, hold on, what do I believe here? Because, I mean, my, my belief is that God doesn't tempt us. And actually, this verse doesn't say that God tempts us. 
It says that he led Jesus to the wilderness, but not by God, but by Satan. So what I want to look at this morning is the problems that we face and what we go through and what are they all about? What is the reason for the problems that we face? And you might not be going through any problems at the moment. Your life might be great. But if you're a Christian and you've got any more than 24 hours, maybe a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a few months, you're going to hit some problems along the way, aren't you? If you've got decades left in your life, you're going to hit some big problems along the way. And let me tell you, right, that the skill of the, of the navigator, of the pilot, is never seen. Anyone can navigate and sail a boat in calm waters. That is easy. The skill of the captain is found in the storm, in the middle of the worst storm. That's when you see how good the captain truly is. And you could look at that two ways. You could look at it in terms of perhaps your growth as a Christian and where you've got to, how you've grown and where you've come to. That Maybe a storm that you couldn't cope with in the past, you now can. Or you could look at it that actually, ultimately, God's the captain. And he's the one that's sailing you through. I actually think it's a bit of both. I actually think it's a bit of both. I think there's, there's something about us that shows us where we're at in that. But there's something about God and what he is to us in the middle of that. I want to look at how we get there. And also, what on earth do we do in the middle of it? What do we do? How do we deal with these storms? What, how do we do it? And if you're not going through one at the moment, right, this is the best time to hear this message, right? You're more blessed than the, per- the person who's going through it now. I'm hoping they're going to love this and this is going to be like, oh, great, you know, I needed a message like that this morning, right? But the ones who aren't going through it, the ones who are like, hey, everything's going absolutely fantastic. You know, it's just, it's just up and up and up and it's getting steeper the curve. I feel like Jeff Bezos. My ship is off. He's sending a rocket into space. Is it today or the next couple of days? I'm like him. I'm living on, you know, cloud cuckoo land, you name it, all of that stuff. If that's you, this is the best time to hear it because you want to be prepped for when that storm comes, don't you? You don't want to be outflanked. You don't want to be prepping really in the middle of it. Sometimes you've got to. It's a bit like driving, isn't it? You don't want to slow down and break. I'm te- I've been teaching my boys how to drive. You don't want to break on the bend. I'm always telling them you don't break on the bend. You break before the bend. You, you speed right so as you go into the bend, you're able to navigate it. If you're breaking in the bend, that's an emergency situation. You break before and then you speed it right. You need to prep beforehand. We need to know if that storm comes. I don't want to prophesy storms on anyone, but how do we deal with it? What do we do? Matt, at the moment, I've got to share some stuff that's that's going on. You know, up here preaching is not about being, oh, look at how great everything is and how wonderful everything is. You know, anyone who knows anything about being a pastor, anyone who's been around church for a long time, all of that stuff, you'll know that a pastor's kind of lot, yeah, a pastor's lot isn't always a happy lot. There's, there's trials, there's temptations, there's difficulties, there's stresses, there's conflicts, and all the pastors in the room, previous pastors in the room, if not under their breath, it, it, it's difficult. And, and if you, th- it, it, listen, I, I know a few people in the room who've been in pastor positions, and I tell you this, right, I don't think, I think we can all say none of us have been through what Paul went through. 
right? Paul, he, he was beaten. He was persecuted. He was thrown in prison. He was betrayed. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. I mean, the list just goes on. At one point, he shares the list of how bad and what he's gone through. We're, we're in a situation at the moment. We literally, we, I, I thought the situation was bad and, and there'd been a few conversations with some close friends and by accident, they end up going to someone else. And you ever done that? And you fire it and then you're thinking, oh my, oh my, oh my, what have I, what have I done? <laughs> I just want, can I die? Can I just come to the ground, just swallow me up? And, and then last night, I'm going to share this as a testimony, and, and Vicky would be my witness to this. We found out some life-changing stuff, would that be fair to say? Just literally last night, uh, we, we discovered some stuff. I, I'm going to, uh, to Botswana, and, and the, the, it's like things are just piling on by the minute. So last night, we're kind of, we're look, we've got this trip planned to Botswana. I have to go and see my dad who dies. He's going to meet they've never met before. So it's going to be a big, big trip. Uh, we don't know the situation over there. It's on the red list. I've not even got the flight home. I've only booked a flight there because I don't know when I'm going to get back. So, you know, it's, it's a kind of big, big situation. And then last night, we find out that basically my whole entire life, the, what, the one person who was supposed from being young that you trust you can all kind of guess who that person would be, has, has basically lied to me about an insight. It's almost like finding out you've been adopted uh, when you didn't know you were. This was the gravity of the situation. I, I could share it and I could go through it. I don't really want to, but hopefully you get a sense of the kind of thing that we came across last night, talking it through and just both of us stunned and shocked about what we'd discovered and what we'd found out and the gravity of it all. And, and so, you know, these things come on. These things happen in life. And, and what does it mean when these things happen? What does that mean? Does that mean? Because here's the thing, right? I would guess that actually, if we're honest, most of us in those moments start to question. We start to question ourselves. We potentially start to question God. We potentially start to question all kinds of things. Maybe we start to throw the focus on ourselves and think, is this me? What have I done? Am I to blame? Am I just a fool? The reason I shared Matthew 4 verse 1 is this, that if you're a Christian in this room, then our understanding of Jesus is that he is God. He's God, Right? You know, if you're looking for the kind of top man, it's Jesus. In the Christian world, it's Jesus. Not the Pope or anyone like that or any pastor or anyone with a pointy hat or anything like that. It's Jesus. He is the man. He was sinless. He never put a foot wrong and he was tempted more than any of us. He said every single temptation, every single one, and he never failed. He never got it wrong, yet he was taken into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by Satan and God led him there to go through that. So the point I'm making is a really simple one. If you're going through something, if you do go through something, do not immediately think, this is because of me. What have I done? How have I caused this? How has this happened? That is not the way to do it. That is not the answer. Because if we're going to go down that route of looking at ourselves whenever anything goes wrong, then 
I don't know where I am with my faith. To me. He, he, the sinless, spotless, the Lamb of God, never put a foot wrong, and yet he had to go through and endure 40 days, 40 long days. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, like when people go, I'm going to run like 26 marathons in 26 days, and you think, are you crazy? Jesus wasn't kind of sat there thinking, I've gone into the wilderness, 40 days, boom. No, God, the Holy Spirit took him there. Said, I'm leading you here. I'm taking you there. It's not your choice. This is my choice. He he was, well, he had a choice. He could have said no. But he chose to be obedient. And he chose to do what God asked him to do and and to go through it. What does it mean? You know, prosperity is we, I want to see everyone prosper. Any pastor's heart is to see anyone prosper. But don't be deceived into thinking that prosperity is a sign that you're doing well or that when you're struggling. Israel, the very nation that God chose and used as, uh, to, to put in the Bible as the great example for us to look at, to learn from, to grow from, they were awful at prosperity. Literally, they, they just, you know, they prospered in adversity. That's where they drew close to God. Anyone feel like that? Anyone feel like, you know what, Lord, I'm ashamed, right? Because I do better when I'm struggling. I feel like a better Christian when I'm struggling and everything's coming against me. And and I feel ashamed and I feel embarrassed. And God, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm no good and I'm awful and all of that kind of stuff. But that's wrong because that's not the case. And then you get a grip yourself and God says, no, that's not how you speak. Romans 4 verse 8. What does it mean? Romans 4 verse 8, Paul said this, and he's quoting David here. David says this, he's quoting from David in Psalm 32. David in Psalm 32 is talking immediately after. So this is the king of Israel for anyone who doesn't know, right? King David, you know, the one who who slew Goliath, that one, like one of the most famous Bible characters, And, and this incredible man of God. To this day, you speak to any Jew, they they would they love David. I love David. I love the stories. You know, he's a hero. You read about him and you think, wow, what an incredible guy. What an incredible man. And yet, for this moment, he's so prosperous. He took over the kingdom. He's not even having to go out and fight. He's at home, on the balcony, feet up, in the jacuzzi, down at the new gym up there or the one over there. And he's just living life. And then temptation comes and he sins. And right in the middle of it, he, he cries out in Psalm 32, and Paul quotes him, and he says this, David was saying this, that blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is the man. I was hoping that would get more of an amen, to be quite frank. And let me say it again. Let's try that again, right? Maybe I, maybe I didn't explain it, so that's like really blessed, right? Is the man, women, that's you too. You can amen to this. Feel free. I know that, you know, it's, yeah. Anyway, against whom the Lord will not count. Any sinners in the room? Anyone who's sinned this morning? They're like, you know, yeah. Who will not count his sin. 
Who was David saying that about? No. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't saying it against himself. Thank you, Jeff. I love it when someone gives me the wrong answer. <laughs> he was not saying it about himself. How could he say it against himself when he suffered for cursed for what he did? He suffered for his sin. He was looking to the future. Do you know who he was looking to? Do you know who he was talking about? You. Me. He was talking about you. Blessed are you, the Christian. I'm talking to the Christians in the room. Because God does not count your sin against you. I don't think we understand the gravity of that because it's such a short phrase, isn't it? It just, you know, he does not count your sin against you. He doesn't count your sin against you. You are, as far as God is concerned, sinless. You're sinless. He doesn't count it against you. Yes, I know there's a problem with that because then we start thinking, hold on, does that mean we can just go off and sin and do what we want? Clearly not. Paul addresses that a little bit later. Clearly not. It's not a license to sin. It's the most incredible thing, the most powerful thing that we could ever thank God for because without that, Without that, we're all going to hell. Every single one of us lost all about that, all of it. It's all a waste of time. God has forgiven us and freed us from the penalty of our sins. And that penalty is awful. That penalty is awful. It's shame, it's embarrassment, it's death, it's all of it. It is dreadful, it is terrible. It's the thing that keeps you up at night. It is awful and God has done it. He's done it, he's cleared us from it and he did it through Jesus. He was talking about you and David was looking for Christ in Christ. That's what he was talking about. That's what he was looking to, not himself. He couldn't actually say it about himself, maybe only prophetically. But he certainly couldn't say it in reality about his own situation because he was going through it. You're the one. I'm the one. And if my sins aren't forgiven, right, if one single sin of mine, just one, is not forgiven, just one, then the promise is of no value. Literally, if one sin of mine, just one, just the tiniest little one, the big red one to pick from, right? If any single one of those is not forgiven, then I'm off, guys, and see you later. And what's the point? Why are we here? Why are we here? We're here because we've been forgiven. We're here because it's the greatest gift known to man. This is the greatest gift known to man. They call it the good news. It's the most incredible. Think about kind of Christmas and, and what they talk about, the gift, the gift of Jesus. It is the most incredible thing. And I know it's not Christmas, but can we talk about it this morning for a bit, just for a moment? 7 verse 10, David said, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. He never, ever will. He will never forsake me. 
He will never forsake me. He is always there for me. No matter what, I can always turn to him. You can always turn to him and he will be there. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it gets, he is there for you. He loves you and he is for you. Life is not happening to you. Life is happening for you. It is all for your benefit. So why is it happening? Not because God's out there throwing out trials and temptations into the wilderness. God's not necessarily sending you out there and into it and all of that. God's plan isn't to put you through a difficult life and trials and troubles and all of that. It's Satan. It's the devil. It's demonic. It's the it's evil. This is, was never God's plan. God's plan was never to have a world where we go through suffering. Never once. God never wanted any single one of us to go through an ounce of suffering. It was never his will. The only thing that was never God's will, the only thing was choice. Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. What enemy? It's Satan. It's evil. It's the devil. He's out to get us. He actually is. Now, this isn't a big, whoa, you know, the devil down that room. I'm explaining where it comes from. This is where it comes from. This is it. This isn't about us not taking responsibility. I've preached sermons on us taking responsibility and, and all of that stuff. I'm for us taking responsibility, but I'm not for us taking the blame. They're different things. Subtle. But the different things. Taking responsibility says, I can do something about this. I have, God has given me the power and the gifts to do something about this. He's given me something to do about this. Taking the blame is, oh, woe is me, it's all my fault, and aren't I a terrible sinner, and I deserve this. So I'm just going to suck up this terrible life because, yep, that's exactly what I deserve. Part in the matter. God doesn't want to put you through that and to treat you like that. That's not how he sees it. And it certainly isn't how he wants you to see it either. He wants you to see that you are blessed and you are loved and he is for you. And this thing that you're going through, whilst it might be difficult or this thing that may come up at some point in your life, whilst it might be hard, whilst it might be a challenge, that God has allowed it to be there, not put it there allowed it because he's going to turn it around for the good of you who is called according to his purposes. So I said, I promised to tell you what not to focus on and what to focus on. In one sense, the what not, you know, like, if you own it, like own your sin. I've got to challenge that teaching, right? Own your sin. I've heard it said, right? I've, forgive me, I've got to challenge it, right? I'm going to go out there and say this. Feel free anyone to argue with me afterwards or talk to me afterwards. That's the worst possible thing you could ever do, is own your sin. That's, that's terrible. Own your sin. Like, 
like own it, like, you know. And, and I get the, all, the idea behind it, like take responsibility, all of that stuff. But think about what that, when you start calling something my, right? If, if I want you to, to keep hold of something and value something, I'll get you to call it my, 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 my. People hold on to problems in their life because they, because they call them my, my pain, my addiction, my this, my that, my the other. So then what happens is when there's an opportunity to be free from it, it's like a crutch and they can't give it up because it's, well, it's mine, isn't it? I know it's horrible and it's terrible, but it is mine and you know what I mean? So I don't really want to let go of this. Stop calling it mine. Don't, whatever you do, do not call it my. Do not own it. Why would you want to own sin? Like, really stop and think about it. Why on earth would you ever want to own sin? Own sin. Like, I want to own good things, not bad things. I want to own things that are good for me, things that are going to prosper me, things that are going to benefit me, things that are going to help others. I don't want to own things that are terrible, that are wrong, that God hates. Like, that's just the craziest thing you could possibly imagine. It's one of those things. It sounds so good, doesn't it? Own it. Own your sin. What a load of crock. <laughs> Seriously. What a load of rubbish, right? Why would you want to do that? Instead of owning your sin, Christ. Instead of owning your sin, own Christ. My, in the words of the famous song, my Jesus, my Savior. It's not a coincidence that that song became perhaps the most, I would guess, I've not looked this up, but I would imagine it's probably the most, you know, the most successful Christian song of the last 20, 30 years. And, and, and it's not a coincidence it's not a coincidence that the, 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 um, the refrain of the song is my Jesus, my, my Jesus. There's a power in that as you sing that. There's a power in that. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an honor that it brings out. There's a praise in that song. There's a worship in that song. That song will bless you more than it will bless God, I'm guessing. Maybe theologically I'm wrong with that. One or two of you might put me right on that. I'm guessing that's going to bless you more than God, to be quite honest. I've not really thought that statement through, so don't hold me to that, all right? Anyone think I'm wrong on that? Throwing it out there in the room? I'm very quiet, so I'm taking it at a no, all right. All right, Ephesians 2, 4, cue for the team to get up. But God, but God, in other words, everything that goes before, right, Let's, this is the big bit. This is the important bit. This is the big bit. But God, being rich in mercy, in mercy, he's, he's rich. He's Bezos of mercy. He's Branson of mercy. He's the Rockefeller of mercy. He owns it all. All the mercy is his there's nowhere else you can get it from other than him. He has it rich in him. Not just in the sense of he owns it all, but in the sense of he's generous in it. He wants him to give it out. He's got that much mercy, that much of it. He's giving it away. He's throwing it at us. He's throwing it around like he's the king. Like, like 
Balotelli when he was paying for everyone's fuel at the petrol station and going round and throwing 50 pound notes out because he's rich. God's doing that with mercy. He's so merciful. He's rich in it because of the great love with which he loved. I'm going to say you. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, was alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him. With him. And seated. When he finished... When Jesus finished, you know what he did? Sat down. Done. Sat down. Because he sat down. That's like smoking a cigar, isn't it? I don't think Jesus smoked. Obviously, Jesus smoked. Obviously. But he sat down. Done. Ever done a hard day's work and you're like, you know when it's been, and, and you just get to the end of it and you're just like, yeah. I, I, you know, that there's, there's, I think there's two types of tiredness in life. There's that horrible tiredness when you've done nothing and you're tired. Yeah, we all know that, don't we? And there's that wonderful tiredness when you've, you've been so productive, so fruitful, and, and there's, a, there's a, almost like a godly tiredness on you just to rest because you've, you, you've earned it almost. My goodness, did Jesus earn his sit down. But he's raised us up with him. Where he sat, he's raised you up with him. And he sat. So I don't imagine, I can't imagine a scenario, right? In fact, where's, oh, Adam's got, come on, come on over, Josh. Come on, mate, sorry to embarrass you. But you, you get up there and you play keys. No, no, stand up. In fact, stand up on there, jump on the stage. You're used to getting up on there, mate. You play keys. Come on, come on over, right? I can't imagine, right, that Jesus is sat down and Josh is stood up next to him. Like, does that look right? Doesn't come sit down, mate. Come join me. You know, it's a good week. How's the new car? Fantastic, mate. Pleased. He's raised you up, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in heaven. Batman talks about heaven last week. You're raised up in heaven with him, mate. You're there, sat with him, chilling, because he's done it all for you. There's no work for you to do. You're just there, done for you. Don't go. You can stay there for a minute. <laughs> but there's a reason for it. It says this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace to you and all of them out there as well in Christ Jesus, because by grace, he says it again, says it twice in this chapter, for by grace you have been saved. But this time he goes on to say, through faith. It's your faith, your belief in God, that he is who he says he is. Those things that your dad and your mum told you about him, the things that you've sang here and you've played and all of that, that he is those things and that he does the things that he promises he'll do for you. Not because of your, in fact, sorry, I'm going on. And this is not you can't, you can't like go, oh, like, great, not you, all right? But that's okay, because it's so good, it doesn't really matter that bit, you know? It's not you, it's the gift of God. 
his gift, his gift, his gift, the gift. You can't earn a gift, can you? It's free. You can't really give a gift back, can you, without offending the giver? Think about it, you know? Right, I'm finishing in a minute. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So it's not just you that can't boast, all of them as well. Yeah, it's all of them, mate. None of them can boast. Not even me. I can't even do it. What am I doing here? Um, for we are his workmanship. Like, like someone made that keyboard and put all, you know, all that work that he did that to create you. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are special, mate. You're incredible. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You are an incredible work of art, a, a, a piece of God's artwork. He took great tender care to make you who you are. I mean, and, and mate, it's incredible. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. For good works. Got a plan for you, mate. Which is not just sit back, but for good works, which he's already prepared. He's already done. He just wants you to walk with him now. Time to get up. Don't walk. He sat down because the job was done. We sat there with him. Don't own your failings and your faults and your sins and all of that stuff. Don't focus on that. Own Jesus. Know that these things are never God's plan. God doesn't want you to go through trials and temptations and problems. Psalm 43 says he will fight for you like a lawyer, like an advocate in court to defend your cause to defend your cause. He is for you. Trust him. You'll never regret it. God bless, guys.